Hello! Welcome back. Please enjoy part two of the episode. So our next tool is the score tool. Score tool! And there's not a lot of underscoring. It's mostly sort of transitional music moments. Yeah. Although there is a sort of period-associated delight with the kind of ominous underscoring when Ed calls Candlestick Park, which I really <laughs> love. And we do get an organ rendition of Take Me Out to the Ball Game when we move to the ballpark, which is nice and episode-specific. Yeah. I think it's 50 grade, the underscoring, well done, but not exceptional. And then in terms of the theme song, which was written by Jay Livingston and Ray Evans, and charmingly sung by Livingston himself. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. Ed. As I understand it in the, uh, you know, not exhaustive research that I did, J.K., I was never going to bed. There's the, the It's part of the yarn and <laughs> picture yeah, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole corner. wall. I yeah. was, yeah, I was gonna say, you know, pinboard, but yes, um, he that is Livingston just recorded a version of it so that the studio could hear what the song was supposed to sound like, but they liked it, so they just kept his vocals. Oh, yeah, that's great. So this song might not mean as much to me as it does to Eric or any generation oh, of man. of. People who even grew up with Nick at Night, Echo Boomer style, but... American Standard, yeah. right there. I think it's an above-average theme song of the period. I really like it. I, I genuinely do. I know that some of it is just, like, nostalgia at this point. But, like, in terms of kind of, like, jingly sitcom songs, I, I think it's really one of the better ones. And Jay Livingston, man, that dude was no slouch. That dude won three Academy Awards. He had seven nominations for original song. That's wow. a lot. That's a lot. And yeah. one for whatever will be, will be. Que sera, sera. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. That's a Livingston joint. Mm. Yeah. And um, let's see, what else? He also won for Mona Lisa from Captain Carey, USA. Is it only cause you're lonely they have blamed you For that Mona Lisa strangeness in your smile And Buttons and Bows from the pale face. East is east and west is west and the wrong one I have chose. Let's go where I'll keep on wearing those frills and flowers and buttons and bows, rings and things and buttons and bows. Case uh, Ra, that's from The Man Who Knew Too Much. Uh, and fun fact, he also wrote the song Silver Bells. What? Yeah. Wow. Silver Bells. Talking horse helping the Dodgers. (laughs) I'll allow it. (laughs) Um, I'm against singing holiday songs during non-holiday times. 
but I'll allow this. <laughs> good, good. Well, this way, if someone listens to it during the holidays, it can count as a holiday episode. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I think you said 50. So. I think I'm a 55 on the theme song. I think oh, it, you're splitting it up, I see. Yeah, so so the underscoring is 50, it does its job, and then I think the theme song is 55. I'll just go with a 55, I'll just keep it simple. I think I might go 55 on the whole. I feel like the most enduring musical refrain from the episode is the theme song and not any of the underscoring. So I think on the balance between 50 and 55, I will go 55 on the whole. Yeah, I mean, if it were just the song, it would be way higher for the sheer anthemic power of uh, of that song. But since it's not, it isn't. So there you go. Splendid. So our next tool is acting. I think that for what it is and for what the ask is, the acting is like mostly pretty good. I think Alan Young is like pretty wonderfully charming. I think Alan Young is great. I feel like there's a large separation between Alan Young and... Connie Hines, who plays his wife, and the neighbors, played by Larry Keating and Edna Skinner. Like, they're just a little stiff. I know some of it is that the blocking is terrible. Yeah. And that's not their fault, right? That's like the direction and the way that it was filmed. But he's totally relaxed into the style of the thing. Yeah. 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 No, and like, he's got to generate a lot. Yeah. Because his main scene partner is a horse. Yeah. Which, you know, I've done some acting with animals and, you know, where my other main scene partner in the thing is an animal. And it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy. Speaking of a little stiff, um, Larry Keating, who plays Mr. Addison, he died during the filming of this episode. What? This was his final appearance in that role. The show ran like... I I think it was like 160 episodes, something like that. And he did 81 of them and did not continue because he passed away. Yeah. I never would have said that if I had known. (laughs) I think it's fine. I I think it was. (laughs) You know, at least you get to die doing the thing you love, right? Right. Yeah. We should all be so lucky. Really, my main takeaway is that Leo DeRocher is not worse than everybody else. He's really not. He's there, pretty good. I think there there are a couple of like deliveries that are maybe not super helpful, including, again, like, I don't know, that pool joke just like didn't work for me. Like, I get it, but like it, it landed to me like uh, not as a joke. I also wonder if like maybe the laugh track was not very good there. Like when you get used to it, you sort of are like, what is this telling me to do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you want this to land? I just didn't have that same problem with that moment. Interesting. Yeah. But you know, I think like, I think that Alan Young is quite good. And yeah, I'm maybe a little more charitable towards some of the other people, but I generally agree with with what you said. And so I don't know if that I have a like a... question for you before uh, you grade. Okay. In terms of the other baseball players, or in terms of all of the baseball people, I want you to rank them in terms of acting ability as displayed, right? They might have better acting ability in something else, but the acting ability that we see in this. I'm going to go Johnny Moose Willie, top to bottom. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, so for me, DeRocher's obviously one, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I And then I do think that Johnny Roseborough is two. Mm-hmm. Then I think Willie Davis. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to put Koufax here. He hasn't given much to do in terms of acting. 
And then I feel like Moscow Run is the worst in a very charming way. In a very like, this person is not an actor. Yeah. And it is delightful to see somebody just be actually like so simple and not an actor at all. But yeah. I think I have Willie below just because of the thing that you mentioned earlier of him like pretending to be a person who can't catch like something sort of like lobbed straight to him. I actually feel like he did a pretty good job. Yeah, I don't know. Must be hard is what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. Like I think probably all in I'm like a I'm gonna say a I kind of want to say just a 50. It's a 50. But I, that's what it is. I Alan that, Young is I think far more than that. More than that. But yes, yeah. But I think there's a few people that I mean probably era adjusted 50 but like honestly what I'm receiving from them is honestly like a 45. So yeah I think it evens out to a 50. Yeah. So our next tool is the delightfulness of catcher character. And most importantly, we need to consider how delightful John Roseborough is in this particular scripted interaction. Yeah. And he has three main moments. One of them is taking the adjustment from Mr. Ed slash Wilbur, which he does both affably and well. And the second is when he says, it was the horse's idea, John. We look around and there he is with a bat in his mouth. This <laughs> is excellent. Classic catcher behavior, advocating for someone else. <laughs> The third is when he leaps out of the way of the sliding Mr. Ed, which is, I mean, really logically, given how the sliding Mr. Ed is at best not doing the most efficient thing and at worst deceased, it's understandable. And he hangs onto the batting cage. That is some serious arm strength. And yeah. I bet the number of times that he had to do it for them to shoot it right, it wasn't just one time. I bet he had to do it for a long time. Respect. And it was funny. And also you got the sense of, like, I believed him as a person scared that a horse was going to yeah. crush his body. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. So all of those things are excellently delightful. But I also want to consider the overall delightfulness of John Roseborough who was the first backup catcher to all-time delight Roy Campanella mm. and took over primary catching duties with Campanella's tragic accident that we discuss in great depth on our podcast, It's Good to Be Alive. So if you're curious, you can look that up. And offensively, Roseboro was a solid contributor. Uh, he had a lot of excellent seasons and was a four-time All-Star Two of those were in 1961 and 62, so those would have been the two years prior to when this aired and would have been recent memory for folks. He also won gold gloves in 1961, which was a breakout season for him in all regards, and in 1966. Yeah, and caught two of Sandy Koufax's four no-hitters. Indeed. Indeed he did. Yeah. And here are another few facts that make me really love Roseboro. In the 1963 World Series... Not long after this would have aired, he hit a three-run homer off of Whitey Ford, propelling the Dodgers to win over the Yankees in Game 1. Yeah! <laughs> he also had that awful fight, or was in the midst of that uh, Juan Marichal uh, incident. Yes. Um, which was one of the more violent on-field fights ever, basically? Yeah. I mean, pretty much because Marichal hit him with a bat. Yeah. I didn't I decided to not have this be one of the like delightfulness of John Roseboro facts, but yes, I did read about the incident. Well, we don't need to get too deep into it. It's an intense 
moment that happened, but um, I guess I bring it up in part because uh, the two did eventually bury the hatchet, and uh, Juan Marichal at Roseboro's funeral, where he was also an honorary pallbearer, said that Johnny forgiving him was one of the best things that happened in his life. That's really lovely. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, for people who don't know, you can look up the story, but also it was an escalation of kind of Marischal throwing too close to uh, one of the batters and then Koufax retaliating by throwing over somebody else's head. And so stuff was basically going back and forth. And that's that's how it ended up happening. Yeah. But another few facts that make me really love Roseboro, including, of course, his charitable forgiveness. His 60.4% caught stealing percentage in 1964 is the ninth highest for a season in MLB history. Yeah. <laughs> and those Dodgers teams... The light teams, that just appeared in Ellen's <laughs> eyes while saying that. Yeah. It was like piercing. <laughs> those Dodgers teams that he caught for had some minuscule ERAs as a whole club. So yes, having Koufax and Don Drysdale and Johnny Padres helps... But when your whole club has a 2.85 ERA, like they did in 1963, the year that this was filmed, or a 2.81, like they did in 1965, you got to be pretty good at game calling and receiving. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, I'm a 60 on this, and I'm only not higher because we don't get more Roseboro. I was a 55 is what I have written down. I'll just stick with that, but... I think I like 55 is fair. Yeah. Yeah. I just... I do love the catchers. So what about delightfulness of announcer? Well, it's not very much, but it is Vin Scully. Mm-hmm. So therein lies the game Indeed. with this particular category. We get him announcing the bottom of the ninth in that first game. We also hear him on the radio as Wilbur tries to listen to the game, even though, like... His wife is, you know, like wanting to spend time with him. Lame. Uh, boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like, he's he's present. You know, we don't see him, but that's appropriate. Uh, we listen to him a few times, and it's not a lot, but it's pretty good. Yeah, there's a non-zero amount of Vin Scully, which is something that we've already addressed on our X-Files episode. But just because Vin Scully is an 80 doesn't mean that any amount of Vin Scully is an 80. So, you know, it's a 30 amount of Vin Scully. Yeah. So for me, it's a 30. It's more than we got in the X-Files episode. But, you know, Jim was fine with my grade for the X-Files, so he'll get it. I don't remember what I did for that one. I think I'm, I'll do a 40. I'm like mostly the same. Sure, sure, sure. Um, the fact that he appears a few times despite it being 25 minutes and sort of like factors into that gag of him like secretly trying to continue listening to the game feels like a little more present a little more part of the narrative than than like the x-files for example so yeah i think that's fair i also do feel like the things that we get there's not a ton that's super vin scully about it and yeah. it could just be that it's, I mean, it's it's not early in his career, but it's not so late that societally people are waiting for the, you know, like, it's time for Dodger baseball. Right, like, right, like right. P- people aren't waiting for certain Vin Scully hallmarks, maybe in like 1963, in the way that they are later after decades and decades and decades of, of having specific yeah. things that they're, that they like. He's not quite the like 
American icon. American icon, yes. Not just for <laughs> Dodgers fans, but for everybody. Yeah. yeah so yeah. so they just didn't put as many of those things into this episode. But Cool. Excellent. Cool so, beans. Cool beans. Those beans over there, real cool beans, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, being a true round table head, I only associate beans with uh, one particular part of the anatomy at this point. Okay. So, yes. Uh, excellent. Everybody should listen to the roundtable on the Athletic Baseball Podcast uh, series, if you don't. So our last tool is lack of misogyny. Oh, boy. I mean, I found some. So <laughs> in the view of this television episode, women will not hear or acknowledge a person when they say that their friend has been beating their brains out because all that women care about is going to Palm Springs. Secondly, chicks, man. Chicks, man. Women will not allow you to do what makes you happy while they do what makes them happy. Because women are tyrannical and they always want to make you go to Palm Springs and thereby disallow you from going to see baseball games. And even if you're at home and watching a baseball game, a woman will demand that you look at her dress and or bathing suit, if that's what that thing is. I don't know. Is it a bathing suit? Oh, I don't know. It looked good to me. <laughs> and turn off the television, even if they know you've already given up your plans to go to baseball games in order to go to Palm Springs. They even want to rob this joy from you. <laughs> Women believe that cutting off your tie is a solution to a tie being stuck in a suitcase. When in reality, we're going to need to find the suitcase key to get the suitcase open anyway. So can we just apply ourselves here? But the real moral of the story is that women are always jealous of your relationship to your mother. Yeah. <laughs> women will believe... It's a real Madonna and the tie disliker. Yes, exactly. Yes, there's <laughs> only three types of women. Madonna, whore... Hates your mom. <laughs> Women will believe that there is the flood of the century in Palm Springs, where it never rains, as narrated by a talking horse, for they are simple, gullible creatures. And yet... Women never believe you when you tell them the truth about the fact that you met Leo de Rocher, for they are suspicious, contentious creatures. <laughs> there's also, there's like... This episode of television has big old six months out of every year vibes. Oh my God. But like worse. <laughs> yeah. Like actually so much worse than that. Like especially, I mean like. Eric is making a reference to Damn Yankees if, if you have yeah. not seen that uh, movie or listened to that episode. I just think it's so funny when she comes out and like, I, again, think she looks good. Like, whew, call the fire department because there is a smoke show in the living room, you know? And she is just like going for it. She sits in his lap. She gives him like this kind of wet kiss on the cheek. Like she is ready to get the weekend started now, right? <laughs> and he is just like not even paying attention because of this game, which is also part of a double header, like like there's already been lots of baseball on, and he just he's just not into it. It's just inexplicable. It's hilarious that we have diametrically opposite opinions about that particular scene. 
Yeah, I well no, but like we have we have different reasons to find weird misogyny. In true, it. true. Yeah, actually, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're like it's misogynist for you to ignore your wife, and I'm like it's misogynist to have a wife who doesn't understand that her husband wants to watch baseball. <laughs> it's true, but like, but I mean, there is there is definitely in this episode, and I think in the series in general a vibe of like the the husband in a marriage to be fair being sort of like a childlike person that kind of needs to be taken care of by someone who is sort of like smart and better organized and i think that this plays out a little bit here too like that in some ways it it is done in a misogynist way of like you know the kind of like not that she does this but the kind of like you know, shaking the rolling pin control freak kind of person. Because there's a moment with the neighbors where that whole like, well, I guess we'll go to Palm Springs, even though I have these tickets and like where he's sort of like meek and she seems in charge. But I think that that still nonetheless, like very much plays into ideas of gender roles that are like, they're very out of date in 2023. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like the, oh, well, the wife is in charge is a sort of a fiction Yeah. of misogynist culture going back centuries, right. at least, if not more. Right. Yeah. It's got a lot of like, and this ties into and maybe is even a little bit more accurate, like the whole notion of like, oh, the old ball and chain. Totally. It's like 100% that. That, yeah. that whole thing. Like... As opposed to like, dudes, is it is it weird to like and get along with your wife and want to spend time with them? Is that like a strange thing? Well, it might be harder to like your wife if your wife never allows you to do the thing that you want to do and it is always required that you do the thing that your wife wants to do. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But like, I guess I'd have to know how many games Wilbur has been to this season also. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I'm guessing that she's not wanting to go to Palm Springs every weekend, but I bet he goes to a lot of games. So, like, you know, Mama got her needs, too, you know? That's true. It's true. What we see in the episode is not a balancing of everybody's needs, however. What we see in the episode is that the wife's needs will always win. Mm-hmm. Or, like, that she's never going to be like, oh, I see we're going to go to Palm Springs and you're not going to get to see your baseball games this weekend, so I will let you watch your baseball games now, right? Like, we would see, in that essence, a balance of what the two people want. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we don't see a balance of what the two people want because of Mr. Ed's scheme, right? Wilbur does get what he wants in the episode, but it's portrayed that the only course that Wilbur can take is to completely bow to what his wife wants because she's going to make it that way. Yeah. Well, but part of that's because Wilbur's kind of like a meek, unathletic person. Like, I don't know. There's something about his kind of lack of traditional, like, manliness in like an alpha way, at least. That I think he's very lovable. No, he's great. Hey, look, I, we're part of the same tribe, that Wilbur and me. <laughs> <laughs> But um, what I really want to know is, do you think that... I wonder if you're going to say exactly the thing I was thinking of. Do you think that Leo DeRocher offering to 
by the marriage contract and also throw in a couple of left-handed pitchers, that feels like a pretty solid opening bid, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you think that he should have started lower and like worked up to something like that? Yeah. No, it's it's an interesting point. And I mean, I guess... Two somebody... left-handed pitchers, like no Two... negotiations. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm sure they'd be great around the house. Maybe one of them, Sandy Koufax. I'm sure that's not the case. I mean, that's exactly the thing is I was like, if somebody offered to me to buy out our contract and offered me a couple of left-handed pitchers, I would be like, well, who are the lefties? (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, it's a couple of left-handed pitchers, right? I get it. Right? You know? (sighs) I mean, is it Brad Hand, you know? (laughs) I got to know. I got to know. I sort of regret asking this question. (laughs) Absolutely not what I thought you were going to ask, by the way. I thought you'd be like, I'm flattered, but no, thank you. Not like, who we talking? Yeah, yeah. Who's it going to be? Fair. What did you think it was going to be? How misogynist is it for Mr. Ed to call the operator honey? Oh, yeah, like cross-species misogynism? Cross-species misogyny. Like, is, That's is, tough. It is tough. I mean, is it just sort of like, well, Mr. Ed is a, is a product of his environment, and this is the way that he's observed that you're supposed to talk to women, you yeah. know, to human women? And But does that make it any better? Is that not just how misogyny gets propagated, is that everybody observes it? And is that nature-nurture question still valid when it comes to a talking horse? Like, yeah. this might be too big for me. Yeah, I don't, I don't exactly, I mean, I think it is an instance of misogyny, um, but I don't know how large an instance of misogyny it is. Yeah. Anyway, for me, the lack of misogyny isn't great because there isn't a single moment of a female character or a relationship to a female character that, to me at least, didn't read as misogynist. Yeah, it's they're not, not great. extremely objectified. But then there's the bathing suit moment that you know the classic like woman wants to be objectified but still gets ignored. Old chestnut, which is just great. Yeah, I can't see my way out of a twenty. Like there isn't a single moment to offset the lots of misogyny that we see, even if it's not like literally the worst misogyny that we see. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to counteract it. Yeah. I think I'm going to go a 30 just because, I don't know, I feel like it's not as like overtly like mean-spirited as sometimes we see. It's a little bit like, boy, I guess it's a little era-adjusted because some of what we see that is bad is a little bit like, oh, this was like a lot it was a lot more commonplace to see this kind of dynamic as normal back then, which is odd but like doesn't make this like a standout it's fair it's fair you know what maybe i should give it a 30 but i'm gonna give it an era adjusted 30 because i have done era adjusted misogyny so i think that that is fair that i I could see something from 1963 being far worse and that being a 20 um all right yeah i mean really what i want to know is like is clayton kershaw one of the lefties (laughs) probably not yeah anyway (laughs) I'd do that trade. So that concludes our scoring (laughs) of this uh, particular episode of television. I don't think Gail Simmons is (laughs) left-handed. 
Oh, but well. the thing is, you'd get a couple. It's not just one lefty. You get a couple, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what makes it, you know, quite obviously. Anyway. Um, Padma. <laughs> <laughs> look, if you were offered a one-for-one one trade with me and Padma and took the Padma de- side of the deal, I would totally understand. No, I think she'd judge me. <laughs> I think she'd judge everybody. (laughs) And like, to be fair, she would probably be correct in doing so. (laughs) Like, I'm not saying she'd be wrong about any of those judgments, but I don't know that I need to be close to them. (laughs) Please pack your knives and go. And when she'd say, please pack your knives and go, it wouldn't even be the like super sad way that she says it when she's like, please (laughs) pack your knives and go. I feel like I'm being roasted in this episode. (laughs) So our next category. What are we doing? I think this has been the most random episode that we've ever done in the entire history of this podcast. But maybe appropriate. Perhaps. I just like the real Top Chef theme that's gone through the entire episode. We've. I don't think we've ever talked about Top Chef in any other episode <laughs> of our Oh, I don't know show. that I'd take that bet, but... Yeah, no, probably not, but certainly not to this extent. So our next segment is entitled Yes or No. Would this episode be better with Kevin Costner in it? I can only judge this episode and not the whole series, Mm. I feel like. But I feel like if he were playing Wilbur, at least for this episode, I love Alan Young, it might make it better. Mm. But I'm thinking of him doing it as like Ray Kinsella from Field of Dreams specifically and the horse is just like a horse that happens to be like on that farm and Mr. Ed and his ability to talk and his baseball acumen all kind of come out of the same mystical whatever McCall it thing that is going on that allowed for the field to exist and have that power in the first place that Mr. Ed's talking ability becomes an extension of that and Ray Kinsella who is kind of like a sweet dopey character in in a number of moments like you know like I just think about him like getting the like comebacker from Shoeless Joe and sort of like stumbling a little bit I feel like that might actually be a pretty good fit I mean what you're actually pitching is like a field of dreams Leo DeRocher meets Mr. Ed mashup Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's a strong pitch that we could take to any Hollywood executive (laughs) after the strike and if possible also have that extend to when you go back into the cornfield you come out at the basketball courts in Airbud seventh inning fetch obviously yeah obviously yeah no this is this idea this is gonna kill this is gonna this is gonna make all the money that this podcast hasn't but yeah I think I'm a yes I'm a sure. Like, I think he could be anybody. I think, you know, as discussed, I think Alan Young is very good at the thing. But I think that Costner would most obviously improve the performance of the neighbor. No no offense. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but also potentially... May he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. I mean, may everybody in this episode rest in peace at this point. It's true. Um, but... Uh, except for Sandy Koufax. Indeed, except for Sandy Koufax. God be praised. So... Yeah, but I also think Costner might improve in the role of basically anybody except for Mr. Ed, who is irreplaceable. Does this episode reference Babe Ruth? This is a National League horse, baby. No Bambino here. It's great. Is there a dog? 
No dog, only horse. No, horse-centric storytelling. Are Yankees fans the main antagonist of this episode? They are not explicitly so, but the episode does end with the Dodgers preparing to go to the World Series, and in actuality did go to the World Series and win against the Yankees. So it's one of those not really, but actually definitely yes kind of situations. Yeah, no. I mean, here's my exact answer with my bullet points of possible antagonist. So my answer is no, because wives are the main antagonist of this episode. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They are actually structurally, right? Um, But Giants fans are plausibly the main baseball antagonist, given that one, the historic rivalry between the Giants and Dodgers that lives to this day, and the fact that they're playing the Giants in the Mm -hmm. early series that we see. But, third bullet point, given that the Dodgers are about to go face the Yankees in the World Series, Yankees fans are, as I have frequently said, not, not the antagonist. Yep. So, we're on the same page. What about six degrees of baseball? There were actually a couple of options here, in large part because... There were a lot of Dodgers who just popped up in things uh, in yeah. this in this time of television history, but I wanted to go in a different direction, and so I am choosing Johnny Roseboro, played himself in this episode, also took on the role of Dodgers catcher in the 1958 Jerry Lewis film The Geisha Boy. Amazing. Yeah. Jerry Lewis worked with a couple of these baseball boys yeah, yeah he sure did yeah i saw the preview for the geisha boy uh the other day while doing this research and um it looks like there's actually like a a baseball game in japan like with the dodgers playing in it is like a a scene or a set piece or something but it did not look like one that i want to pursue any further than i already have very fun but also very fair yes What is your favorite moment? I mean, it's hard because the only correct answer is Mr. Ed sliding into home. I will add, though, that the thing of Willie Davis, Johnny Roseboro, Moose, Scourin, and Sandy Koufax, all like their portraits appearing as Mr. Ed is saying their names and we get the sort of like introduction of the lineup like guest star baseball player thing with a sort of like polite golf clap audience yeah that it's followed yeah. with the applause um that's actually become a closer second place than i would have guessed like it's really good i completely believe you because i also had it oh yeah as okay. a, as an option I, you know i think any of Mr. Ed's monologues, like to himself in the mirror, mm-hmm. or when he realizes he's going to get to go see his favorite Dodgers, it's they're they're excellent. But I am going to pick for my runner up to the Ed slide. Obviously, that's what it is. Is Wilbur reading Mr. Ed's lips? It's it's pure <laughs> it's really freaking absurdity. It's so excellent. What about your least favorite moment? Uh, I think I'm just going to say Ed threatening to give up on the Dodgers and become a Giants fan at the beginning. Oh, that's a really excellent choice. But I'm not going to steal that from you. I'm not going to just say, oh, yeah, I wanted that all to... It's mine. Yeah, it's yours. And so I'm going to pick a different one, which is, I think it's when Carol, this is Wilbur's wife, turns off the baseball game. We've talked about this. But like he's already going to miss the three games he has tickets for, and now you're going to make him not watch this game, too. What the heck is wrong with you? (laughs) What about a scene you'd like to see? 
I want to see Mr. Ed coaching at the World Series. Get that <gasps> horse course. into the dugout. Get that, put him on third base, put him wherever, just get him in a uniform. Mr. Ed has to be one of the base coaches. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he'd be a good first base coach. You know sure. what I mean? Like telling people when to steal, right? <laughs> As opposed to third base, I feel like he might overestimate how quickly they could run because they're not horses and be like he'd send everybody would I want to see issue. him like wave people home with his tail though oh waving people home with his tail would be really good yeah maybe he's just good enough with human mechanics that he would know you know <laughs> he would have studied their sprint speed per second you know their feet per second he would be like oh it's Maury Wills send him yeah you know Willie Davis send him Muscaron maybe not yeah so that's, I, I don't know, I think that'd be good. That's great. That'll go that's in the movie. That's great. It's an excellent choice. Yeah, in our movie, to be clear. I think I would like to see Ed try to field. Ooh, This solid. would be tough, yeah. obviously. But even though you can't catch things in a hat, I feel like we could see him after, you know, we could see him steal a player's hat and hold the brim in his teeth so that the you know, mm-hmm. the main part of the hat could be like a thing that he could catch the ball Ooh, It's in. against the rules, though. I know, I know it is, but it's a thing that he could do, right? There's no way that he could hold a glove, right? So I was trying to figure out how would we make this happen in this episode? Yeah. I know it's against the rules, but, you know. No, before you say it, there's nothing in the rule book about a horse not being able to play baseball. Fair. I mean, I just, I, a horse could be a great center fielder. He had so much range and you feel like, you know, they could just put their front legs up on the wall to chase a homer and get a lot of extension that way. Like they could jump, but they wouldn't even need to jump. Yeah. And it would be ridiculous and probably very hard to actually stage with a horse, but that's what I would like to see. I mean, maybe that could even be a point, right? He steals the person's hat. He's trying to field out there. He catches a ball. And they're like, this is really good. And somebody's like, yeah, but it doesn't count when you catch not with a glove. It has to be caught with a glove or your hand. <laughs> that also counts, you know? It'd be perfect. We'll put it in the movie. Who's the dreamiest? It's Sandy Koufax. They're all dreamy, but there's no other right answer here. Man, I put Mr. Ed. You're wrong. Mm, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. I know we've been a little hard on you on this episode, but you're wrong. Yeah. Man, a lot of hard truths coming out in the Mr. Ed episode. (laughs) What about your favorite performance? Uh, I'm going to go with Alan Young. I just, I think that um, he's charming. He's very, very good. And I think it's like what he does in this show is not an easy assignment, actually. And, uh, um, And I think he does a great job of it. I agree. It's also Alan Young. I am also, I'm quite charmed by Leo DeRocher, but it's obviously Alan Young. Yeah, he's actually, I think when you see everybody else, it's one of those instances where you sort of understand by the style that you receive from everybody else, the parameters that they're working in and his ability to be obviously spontaneous and flexible and relaxed within the kind of, you know, weird blocking and that kind of thing. It's it's one of those things. I'm not saying that it's as exceptional as when you see Jimmy Stewart in something and you're like, whoa, he's working with something that everybody else of this period is not. Yeah. But it's in the direction of being that same thing. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Make Fun of Eric. 
And uh, <laughs> if you liked this episode... Take me into the therapist office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweetheart. Uh, I choose you every time. Um, if you like this episode, please rate and review us. And next time, we are going to be watching and talking about the movie Spaceman. Ooh, get that Bill Lee in here. I love Bill Lee so much. (laughs) I'm really excited for this movie. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. If you would like to find us on the internets between now and then, I am on Twitter at Ellen underscore Adair. I am on Instagram at Ellen Adair G. And I'm on post at Ellen Adair. They're all different and it's so annoying and i apologize and i am at eric gildy on twitter and instagram and that that's pretty much it i guess yes it's not in fact all those things (laughs) but a simpler life to lead social media handle wise yes and we will talk to you next time on take me into the ball game bye guys For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball.